My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 16. Weissman finds out what's going on up at the plant. Power may justly be compared to a great river. While kept within its bounds, it is both beautiful and useful. But when it overflows its banks, it is then too impetuous to be stemmed. It bears down on all before it and brings destruction and desolation wherever it comes. Alexander Hamilton It took Weissman about two hours to get to the center of Concord. He was very concerned by what Martyr had told him at the clinic. Red glows in the eyes, manipulation of objects. She must have been losing control. Maybe she thought she was at the mercy of others and had to act out these inadequacies. His only hope now was the salvage of at least a part of this nightmare of a weekend. And he could do that by proving something on Jamie. He found the rental car building and pulled into the parking lot. His first impulse was to search the lot for the car that Jamie had brought to St. Argus. There was nowhere to be found, and the air outside was freezing. He hurried to the door and stepped into the warmth. The clerk was waiting on an older man. Weissman got in line behind the man. Thank you very much, sir, said the young woman behind the counter. Have a nice day. The man took his keys and headed out back as Weissman stepped forward. Yes, sir, what can I do for you? Well, I guess I need a little information. I can be of help. What kind of information do you need? I want to check on a car that was procured here last Friday afternoon. Is that car taken out in your name, sir? Asked the girl. No, specifically, I want to find out if the car was returned here. It was used by a close friend of mine. I'll have to check with my supervisor like that. She smiled and went into the back room. About a half a minute later, a neatly groomed man in a three-piece suit stepped up to the counter. Yes, sir, what can I help you? He asked with a big smile. Well, as I told the girl, I'd like to check the status of a certain car. It was signed out last Friday. Are you with the authorities, sir? No, no, I'm a close friend of the man who signed out the car. I don't understand. See, this man was supposed to leave St. Argus. He was gone for two days. I've been trying to trace his movements. I really don't see anything wrong about just finding out if he returned the car. Did you call earlier? No, no, that was the police chief in St. Argus, Dan Hastings. He said you wouldn't give out any information over the phone, so here I am. That's company policy. Okay, so I drove all the way down here for nothing. Well, very well. I think I can comply with your request. Miss Smith, do you remember? Yes, a man and his wife, two children. They came in here Friday afternoon. He was scheduled to have the car for 10 days, and they were headed to St. Argus. But did he bring the car back? Asked Weissman as he felt his hopes ready to come crashing down. No, 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 he didn't. And a cold chill swept through his body. Oh, my God. Can you check with the other terminals? He asked very quickly. He was very much aware of what this meant. I have to find out if he returned that car. Well, I can check on the computer, said the man. Yeah, yeah, please, please. Okay. The whole national and Canadian systems on the computer. Just take a seat, sir. I'll stop. Thank you. Thank you very much, said Weissman as he stepped aside for another man in line. He walked over to the chair and sat down. He rubbed his temples and eyes as he tried to figure out just what Jamie was up to. And where was the car? He could have dropped it off at another location. But the main fact was that Jamie was lying. 
Weissman stared out the window at the passing traffic. The lights changed many times. New groups of cars drove by him. 25 minutes later, a girl called him up to the counter. She lifted the counter door up and motioned for him to come inside. Mr. Leonard is back in his office, she told him and pointed to a side office. Thank you, said Weissman as he went to the office. Leonard stood in front of a tiny computer terminal and looked over to Weissman as he entered the room. Sorry for the delay there, Mr. Weissman, Ernie Weissman. The lines have been down for about an hour. I just started to get some action here. It should only be a few seconds. Yeah, I can wait. Just what's going on here? This guy do something wrong? Let's just say he had no business being away so long, and I know for a fact he lied about returning the car. Ah, here it comes now, said Leonard. Negative. That car, Hampshire plate number 451208, is still open. It hasn't, he said, shutting off the machine. Been turned over back here, United States or Canada. Oh, shit. Damn, shouted Weissman as he clenched his fist. The suspicion was even greater now. Well, I can call you if it doesn't get turned in. Yeah, yeah. Weissman took a pen from the table and wrote down his number. So I live on May Street. Very good, I'll let you know. Appreciate it. Thank you for going to all this trouble. Well, if you ever need a rental, I'll call you guys. Right, right. Have a nice day, said Leonard as Weissman left his office. Thank you, he said to the girl as he went by. Sure, have a nice day. Weissman knew he was not going to have a nice day, nor did he ever want to hear that expression again. He stepped outside into the cold and hurried toward his Porsche. His next stop would be the chemistry department at the University of Concord. And he was more convinced than ever that Jamie had probably lied about going there, too. Weissman entered the chemistry building of a large campus in the afternoon. The building, like the campus, was deserted because of the intercession. No one, even the maintenance men, the janitors, or anyone else was in the building. He checked every floor and room, and then became depressed that he was not going to be able to prove anything on Jamie. Reluctantly, he left the building and headed for the car. At the last minute, however, he decided not to give up his search. He turned around and went into the adjacent physics building. That building was no different as he reached the midpoint of the fourth floor. He heard a noise down the corridor. He increased his pace and came to an open door. The light from the outside was spewing forth into the darkened corridor. On the door was a black and white embossed plastic plaque for the chairman of the physics department, Dr. Edward B. Lawson. Weissman looked inside and saw an aging man with wire-rimmed glasses writing notes on yellow legal sheets. Excuse me. Yes, said the man as he looked up. Are you Dr. Lawson? I am he. Doctor, my name is Bernie Weissman. I'm sorry for intruding. You look busy. Well, I am busy. Please state your business. I have tons of work to do. Weissman stepped through the doorway. Doctor, I'm coming down here from St. August. I've just been over to the chemistry building, but it's empty. Semester break. Either everyone's gone to Florida or just off campus. My problem is this. I have a friend, a well-known chemist, who said he came down here last Friday night. He claims to have spent time with people in the chemistry department. So what? Well, I want to confirm that fact. Look, Mr. Weissman, I'm with the physics department. Perhaps you didn't read the sign out there. How can I get a hold of the chairman of the chemistry department? Doug Newman? 
laughed Lawson. He's somewhere in the Caribbean sailing. He's been gone for the last two weeks. Well, can I talk to any other members of the department? Look, Mr. Weissman, I'm really busy. Don't you have a list or something? All right, all right, grumbled Lawson as he opened the drawer to his desk and pulled out a thick book. This book lists all the faculty members by department. However, there are over 50 people in the chemistry department. Lawson handed him the book. I hope that helps you out. Just bring it back when you're done. Do you have a local phone I can use? Lawson stared at him for a few seconds. In the next office. He stood and opened the door. Just don't disturb me anymore. I have to get this work done. Thank you. I'll be quiet, said Weissman as he went into the other room and closed the door. He peered out the crack between the curtains. The day was getting cloudy and the room was very dark. He opened the curtains, looking over the campus as the last vestige of bright sunlight disappeared behind the clouds. There were 50 names on the list. It would take time. He had to decide whether this was all worth it. In his mind, he pictured Marta back at the clinic. Her mind would be lost if they decreed that she be put away. He couldn't allow that. It had to prove that Jamie was wrong. Calling 50 people was not too much to ask. The telephone was on the window ledge. He picked it up and placed it on the desk as he sat down. As he opened the book, he could see just how long the list really was. He stared at the countless names, knowing full well of the monotonous task ahead of him. It was quarter to two, and he picked up the receiver to dial the first name on the list, Professor David Allen. The gray sky had darkened considerably when Weissman set down the phone. He was ending the end of the alphabet with no success. Not one person had ever heard of Jamie Pendleton, let alone some business contact with him on the weekend. Weissman stood up and stretched. Opening the door, he saw Lawson still hard at work behind his desk. I'm all the way up to S, he exclaimed, but Lawson kept writing. That's good, he replied. I'll be back in a few minutes. I want something to eat. The doctor kept on with his writing, and Weissman headed for the food machines in the lobby of the building. The dried tuna fish sandwich and a cup of murky coffee in his hands, he went over to the payphone next to the front window. He quickly dialed the number of the clinic and put the appropriate money in for the long-distance call. It seemed like hours before they got Marta to the front desk. She sounded very relieved that he had called. Are you sure you're all right, Bernie? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, but listen to this. Jamie never returned the car to the rental place, nor any of their affiliates in the entire United States and Canada. He was lying. He was really lying. I don't believe this. Why? I don't know the answer to that. I've checked over 35 numbers on this chemistry department list. Nothing. Nothing? Right. They all think I'm some kind of idiot for calling them. Others I've tried several times, but they're not home. Mata. Nobody's ever even heard of Jamie. Can't stand it in here, Bernie. I really will go crazy if I have to spend much more time in here. It's like a prison. I called the kids at Mrs. Doyle. They're doing okay. Just try and sit tight. I'll be back tonight, he assured her. Well, it's supposed to snow. They said so on the radio. Can't be much longer. I just have to check all the possibilities. Can't you check it later? I'm scared. Why, has Jamie been over there? No, no. Just had another one of my feelings. I just want to get out of here. And St. Argus. To somewhere far away. Far, far away. 
I know, I know what you mean. I'd like that too, but I have to find out if Jamie was down here. Even if I have to look over the entire science department list. You already know he lied. I know he lied once. Look, Mata, I'll be back tonight. Well, call me before you leave. I'm afraid. I'm afraid now that darkness is coming, especially after last night. I understand, but you're in a safe place, and I promise to call before I leave. Wouldn't be doing this at all if it weren't for the fact that I have to have absolute proof before I go pointing the finger at Jamie. I'll be calling. Goodbye, Mata. Weissman had been unable to express his true feelings. He'd wanted to tell her that he loved her, but his words had fallen flat. Before he reached the elevators, he got another couple of sandwiches and a cup of coffee. Lawson hadn't moved an inch from his desk. He was busily scribbling on the yellow paper as Weissman came into the office. Thought you might like something to eat, said Weissman as he came back inside. It's getting late. Lawson looked up and smiled. Why, thank you, Mr. Weissman. Could use something to eat. Okay, here, have some tuna, he said as he set the sandwich and coffee on the desk. By the way, how are you doing on your list? Well, I don't know. I'm going to finish the chemistry department, then go to the rest of the science departments. What about your friend? Has anybody been helpful? He asked as he unwrapped the sandwich. Looks like he never came down here at all. Little white lie? Asked the professor. More than that, doctor, said Weissman as he sipped on his own coffee. It's a long story. You see, he left two days ago. He was supposed to be gone for two hours and ended up being gone for close to two days. I guess he went someplace else. Well, good luck in your search. You appear to have a lot of work ahead of you. 140 names just in math and physics. Certainly hope you find the right person. Yeah, I sure hope so said Weissman as he returned to the other office. The next few hours were sheer agony for Weissman. More and more the same. Nobody had ever heard of Jamie Pendleton except for one man who remembered seeing the name on a report from USC. But this did little to console Weissman. Determined, he struggled through the entire listing of both math and physics, ending with Professor Yovanovitch, who was on a trip to Buffalo. He was exhausted by this point and very frustrated. It was well past 10 p.m., and he put his head on the desk. There were more departments left, unrelated departments, which would probably yield the same result. He was positive that Jamie had not come down to the university. It had been a high price to pay for that information, and he hardly knew what he would do with it. He picked up the entire listing, shut off the light, and went to Lawson's office. I've had it, he said to Lawson, who was drinking another cup of coffee. Just more than I can say for myself. Another two days of work, if I'm lucky. Oh, I thought you were almost done. Hardly. I started yesterday morning on this bloody thing, and I'll probably be here past midnight. Sounds like important work. Yeah, I wish it was. Just a report about all the lab work. If I could just stay in the lab, I'd be all set. I've made the upside-down quark my baby, Mr. Weissman. I study all kinds of subatomic particles. Very slow and tedious work, but not half as slow as this damn report, just to justify the work itself. It's an annual thing to the Board of Trustees. Well, I wish you the best in your efforts. It's kind of you to let me use the listing in the phone, he said as he put the listing on the desk. Quite all right, quite all right. Thank you for the food and coffee, and I hope you find what you're looking for. Someday, doctor, I think I will. Thanks again, he said as he shook hands with Lawson and put on his coat. Good night. 
said the professor as he immediately got back to work. Weissman waved goodbye and disappeared into the dark corridor. His first destination was the telephone next to the food machines. Marta had told him that she was very upset this afternoon and he hadn't even left for St. Argus. Now many hours later, he was finally leaving for St. Argus. As he looked out the window, Weissman could readily see the snow had been coming down for hours. It was already piled on the top of the porch. He tried to reassure Marta that he would indeed be back in two hours despite the storm. But to his despair, she once more told him of her intense feelings of impending doom and how she did not feel safe, even in the clinic. But as she wept softly, he told her he was leaving for St. Argus. He hung up the telephone and stood in the indirect light of the food machines. Her sense of foreboding had been contagious. Weissman could feel the doom and also felt guilty for leaving her in the first place. But he now knew that Jamie was a liar. Caution was necessary before he confronted him with it directly. Instead, he even considered withholding what he knew and somehow tracing Jamie's exact movements over the last few days. His stomach growled. He turned to the machines, putting in most of his change as he stocked up for the journey back to St. Argus. He kept the tape player at full capacity, singing along with the music in order to keep awake during the intensifying storm. The plows had not yet cleared the highway, and he kept at a very stable speed. His voice tired rapidly as he turned down the tape deck and thought of Lawson on the fourth floor office. Lawson, like Jamie, was putting in long hours to push forward his research. And what of Jamie? How different he had become since Friday night. The long hours of waiting for him to return. Going down the cellar and getting the firewood. Hearing Marta's screams. Her recounting of the terrible tragedy. Shot up with holes. Mumbling his last words according to her. Universal gray dent. 12 to 4. The hell did that mean? He had Lawson, a physicist, right in front of him. All he had to do was ask if he had ever heard of a universal gray dent. He was a scientist and it sounded very scientific. The very answer might lead to Jamie's whereabouts that night, or at least give a clue. Food and fuel station was 10 miles up the road now, but he was already 20 miles out of Concord in a blinding snowstorm. The only way to contact Lawson, if he was still in the office, would be by telephone at the station. Universal gradient, exclaimed Lawson from his office. Gradient? Oh, gradient. Yes, why would you want to know about the universal gradient? Uh, it's just something I heard, said Weissman as the snow whipped around the telephone booth. Well, Mr. Weissman, the universal gradient refers to an area of experimental physics which I have a basic knowledge of. According to the theory, the universal gradient is the level of time and space that, when twisted, warped or turned, reaches a certain basic level or level that becomes the universal gradient. At that point, energy flows freely from that space to be tapped for future use. You mean power, don't you? asked Weissman. Bits and pieces flew into his mind. Doctor, is it possible to gain that power with our current technology? I seriously doubt it. That type of work was perfected probably hundreds of years away or more. But it is possible, stated Weissman, shivering in the booth as the first snowplow went by on the highway. Oh, sure, it's possible, but the initial cost would be astronomical. In other words, you'd have to be very well off to invest in such a venture. I think the government would be the one to attempt something as bold as universal power. 
Listen, doctor, I want to know about the side effects. What would it be, I mean, on human beings? Hard to say, Mr. Weissman. I would associate a number of cosmic rays with the process, including tooless particles. They could be harmlessly reconverted or tapped for power. Would it make sense for human beings to behave strangely? Asked Weissman. He was beginning to see that the hydro plant was doing more than just tapping water power. No more strangely than we already do. But I've read papers cautioning against the warping of space. In essence, you have a window to the universe. Within a few hundred meters, you're literally side by side with a space of a million light years across the universe. Therefore, as you pull into space, there's more of a chance to pull in matter, planets, stars, even something cataclysmic like a black hole. But those opposing this say the universe is mostly composed of, of dark matter and probably nothing. A tiny amount of hydrogen atoms between the stars. Therefore, they say the chances of pulling something in is almost nil. Yeah, I see. Mr. Weissman, why would you, a layman, be interested in such a complicated process? Doctor, I think the experiments may already be underway right in this area. At St. August. You must have seen the new hydro plant. Oh yeah, I was invited up there last year when it opened. I toured the facility, but I hardly saw anything resembling universal power experiments. Well, strange things have been happening up here. And someone mentioned the universal gradient just before he was murdered, said Weissman, bringing credence to Marta's story. That's why you're looking over the list. What are you saying, Mr. Weissman? I'm saying that the person who said he was in Concord was in reality inside that power plant. Of course, it all makes sense now. He wanted to blow the lid on the old man. What? I may be dead wrong, but I think I've put a part of this together. Doctor, I want you to come with me to St. August. I want you to take a closer look at that plant. I think you have an overactive imagination, Mr. Weissman. Perhaps if you believe all this, you should contact the proper authorities now. Good night. Doctor, doctor, cried Weissman into the telephone, but the line was dead. Damn. He set the phone back on the hook. He deposited another dime and called the clinic. It was now nearing 11 p.m., and he still had a long way to go to St. Argus. Bernie, why you calling me again? Is there something wrong? Asked Marta from the desk. Yes, yeah, something's wrong. I found out the meaning of Jamie's last words the other night. How did you do that? I just talked to a doctor at the university. Universal gradient is a term used in the area of experimental physics. It involves something called universal power. The power plant on the river, Marta. Power plant? How? By selectively bending time and space. But after space is bent around, the space left over would be, in actuality, a hundred million light years away, or so he told me. That's what's going on at the hydro plant? And Pendleton is running the whole show? Well, he does own the plant. And Jamie was going out there last Friday night and knocked the clock, like he said. Yeah, maybe. I can't say for sure. There are particles given off. He might have been. Yeah, down here too, he said as he looked outside. It's going to take me another few hours to get back home. I'm still only 20 miles out of Concord. Why don't you try and see if you can get some sleep? Whatever you think is best. I'll wake you or come in in the morning. No, no, wake me. 
All right, I should be there about two. Tell the nurses I'm coming. Yeah, it might, Marta. I know we have to take this rationally. I'm building all this on speculation and assumption, and if I'm wrong, let's just take it step by step. I agree. Good, good. I'll see you in a few hours. Try and rest. I will. Good night, Bernie. She said as she hung up the telephone. Weissman wondered if he had said too much. Could have given her false hope when there was no hope at all. And he didn't fancy traveling over a hundred miles through a blinding snowstorm. He bored his head into the wind as he ran over to the station pumps. After paying the attendant, he climbed into the Porsche. It was all so confusing and all so highly unlikely. He pulled onto the slick highway and over to the high-speed lane as he headed home. But it would be a slow trip and he would have to contemplate everything he had been told. Join us next time for My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.